When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Allen. I am J.P. Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. J.P., how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. We're covering a song from 2001, which I will always call the Bobby Bonilla year. Because <laughs> Bobby Bonilla will receive $1.2 million a year from the Mets until the year... 2035. Yeah. And he's not played since 2001. That's crazy. The cra- Bobby Bonilla, you are my hero. <laughs> also, his former pirate teammate, Barry Bonds, hit 73 homers that year. Wow. What a crazy year in baseball. Uh, financials and steroid use that was. Just um, Also, things <laughs> that came out in 2001, Xbox. Oh, the original. The original. Okay. GameCube. Oh, love and, the GameCube. And the iPod. All three released yeah. in 2001, mm. but the biggest song to kickstart that year, he's probably going to be a guest with us here in just a few seconds, Shaggy. It wasn't me. Oh, is, wow. Is Shaggy here? There it is. Oh, there we go. Thanks Sha- for remembering me. We have a f- uh, uh, frequent listener that always loves it when Shaggy comes to stop by. So. Oh. There, there it is, thanks. But we are not playing a Shaggy song. Nope, wasn't we, are, we are playing another <laughs> monstrosity of a hit from that year. Diamond Rio. Ah, here we go, a little song. Get your fills out, get your tissue box. Seriously. It says One More Day by Diamond Rio. Beautiful. Last night I had a crazy dream Dream Wish was granted just for me It could be for anything Mandolin player is not shy I didn't ask for money Or a magic Malibu I simply wished For one more day with you One more day One more time, one more sunset, maybe I'd be satisfied. But then again, I know what it would do. Leave me wishing still for one more day with you. My goodness, my goodness. There you go. If you're not all up in your fields. Guys, we got a special treat for you. We've been doing interviews for the past several, several weeks with artists of the songs. Today, we're going to get into the heart of the songwriter. We're going to actually, we got a special treat at the end with Bobby Tomerlin, the songwriter of One More Day. So please make sure you stick around for that in the Meet the Band Really great interview. We had a great time with Bobby. And uh, great guy, one of the best uh, talk voices you'll ever oh, hear. Oh yeah, too. oh man, phenomenal. When he talk, you'll be like, "Why are you guys' voices yes. on there?" We just want to hear him say everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's just, let's just sit and listen to Bobby. You're gonna wish for the Bobby Tomerlin podcast, right? Exactly for sure, hundred uh, percent. One more day from the 2000 album. One more day, written by Bobby Tomerlin and Stephen Dale Jones. Um, it went to number one on the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart. Number six on the AC chart. Number 29 on the Billboard Hot 100. It's a crossover hit. Number six country song of the year 2001, according to Billboard. It was Grammy nominated for the album and for best country performance by a duo or group with vocals, uh, which it lost to Allison Krauss and Union Station's The Lucky One. Not to be confused with Amy Grant's Baby, You're the Lucky One. Baby, you're the lucky one. Anyway. Anytime we can talk about Amy Grant, we love Amy Grant. Yeah, we're down. Um, Amy Grant, be our friend. Uh, 
Okay, just some general thoughts on this song, uh, and then we'll talk about some of the events. So this song was, is a perfect song that also uh, rose on the tide of a couple of traumatic events. Absolutely. Right? A couple of tragic popularity events. based on two, two downers. And so, exactly, yes. Um, so, uh, we'll give some, uh, just some general thoughts about the song, uh, and then we'll talk about th- those events a little bit. But tr- then we'll bring it up big. We've got, to got another good Stump the Genius game, and some oh, fun, fun goodness. It's going to be wonderful. Again with the Stump the Genius. It's going to be wonderful. All right, okay, okay. All right. The f- first thing I want to say about this song is this is a perfect example of this is how you write a song. Okay. Period. Uh-huh. It is a textbook. It doesn't even have a bridge. Yeah. Think how good this song is. <laughs> it doesn't it have a bridge. It doesn't even need a bridge, you know? <laughs> uh, it just gets in, says exactly what it means. And it's out. It's, it's sentiment, and then it's done. <laughs> That's it, good. You know? It, it, no it, fluff. No fluff. It's just, here's a great freaking song. Yeah, it's good. Get your tissues. I love you it. Know? Um, and I, part of this greatness, part of the greatness uh, of the song as something that doesn't fade away is it's sort of, uh, and I don't mean this in a negative way. It's got a generic subject, uh, or not subject, maybe object of okay. the song. The, so like the person it's being sung to, you know, is it works as, as either a, Goodbye song. Mm-hmm. I miss you. I would mm-hmm. do anything to have one more day with you because I miss you. Or a we are together and all I want is one more day with you. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it works. You can on, take it either way. Yeah, it works on both of those things. And I believe originally the intent uh, intent of the song was as a love song that it was a let's just be together forever. And if I and if and if I was granted one wish, it would just be for one more. You know. Mm-hmm. But um, but. But after the sort of events that that gave it, it took it into a different place and and held a different place in people's hearts than just a, a great love song, and we'll talk we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, a few things I want to point out. But then again, I know what it would leave me wishing still. Check this out. One more day. Then again, one more day. One more. Me wishing still, one more day. True. With you, boy. Okay, so let's talk about what just happened here, because you may not know. It probably just. It may have just awakened some feelings in you that you don't fully understand yet. So let me just help you understand. Okay. Um, so those, those those harmonies. First of all, that's called a tag. Okay, we call that in the industry a tag. When you repeat when you repeat a line like that, we'd say that's that tag it one more time. So um, what you've got is a a progression that leads you back into sort of circularly being able to do that ending again. And of course, they cut off the last line instead of one more day with you. They just say one more day, right? And each one of those lines does some something harmonically different. Each, mm-hmm. each one of the harmonies in those lines does something harmonically different. Um, and so the first one has a line in the middle that's just under the under the lead that's going. Uh, so if the lead is one more day, there's a there's a line underneath that's going one more day, something like Do that. You want me to try to hold the lead so that the, and, uh, so that the artist can so the listener can hear. It's, it's, you can try it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. 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 But yeah. So the, the maybe you should play it again after kind of explain what's going on. But first, so the first line, listen to the the. It's not the high harmony. It's the one of the low harmonies. Okay. Um. And it's it's the one just under the thing. And I think if you're listening on headphones, it's on the left side. Um, you can hear it. Um, and then the second pass, the second tag, has somebody going up, one more day. And, and it, it's, a, um, it's a suspension. It's not a typical like 4-3 suspension, but it's like a, uh, I guess it's technically in classical terms, it's a 6-5 suspension, uh, which is not, doesn't match the Nashville number system, but that's what it's called. Um, and... Um, and then the last one is a 4-3 suspension. One more day. And it lands on that five chord, or it, it holds over it and then, 
and then resolves, resolves to it. that five chord to set up the last line. Play that back one more time and listen. So middle harmony, high harmony. Here we go. Here's middle harmony. Right day. Then here they. One more day. And then hear this one resolves. One more day. Suspends. Resolves. With you. That is a thing of uh, just <laughs> chef's kiss. Mwah. Beauty. Just absolutely gorgeous. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? I love how the musical hook is a reinforcement of the melodic hook just offset by a beat. So the 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 melodic hook one more day, right beginning of the chorus. The uh the piano part at the beginning is boom bam 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 right it, but it's offset. It's not in the same place as the melody. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Rhythmically, it's it's a little bit different but it's the same thing. I love at the beginning, well it's all the way throughout but there's this clean low lead guitar up against high mandolin pan to the other side. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really pretty low, but it's fairly prominent in the thing. And listen, oh, 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 this is so great. I forgot about this. Listen to the very last note on the electric guitar of the whole song. It has a little surprise in it, and it leads us to a conclusion. Electric That's a bend down, okay? So it's so the last note is is I can't sing it in that octave, but it goes bum bum right it goes down it do, it doesn't it's not bum 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 it's bum bum it's a bend finger down string to the, control. Yes. Jimmy Olander at its finest. That's right. And what it means is that it means two things. What it means is the second to last note, he actually bent up to pitch before he struck it. Uh-huh. Okay. So he's going, he goes, hit, then bend as a ghost, hit, and then release the bend uh-huh. to the last note. And it tells us one of two things. Either he is in drop D tuning, um, or he is tuned a full step down because you can't bend that last note. It's in the key of E, but you you wouldn't be able to... If you're in E tuning, you it's it's an E being bent up to an F sharp and then released down to an E. So if it's an open E, you wouldn't be able to bend it up, mm-hmm. right? So maybe he's in drop D tuning for the whole song and just tuning and and so he can release that one note at the end. Or he might be, and I'm kind of inclined to think maybe he's just in open D, uh, not open D, but tuned down a whole step to D. So he can play an E, but. So he's, right, he would be guitars tuned down. A whole but step. in which case, he would be playing in F sharp the whole song, and that seems kind of stupid. So I don't know. Maybe we can get with Jimmy Olander and ask him. Maybe we can find out. I would love to pick his brain because that's such a to, to do that thing. It's such a Nashville thing, first of all, to do that for one note, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do an alternate tuning to be able to do one thing to end it three minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I don't know, uh, but I would, I'd really, really be interested unless he's playing like a baritone. Which is tuned down a fourth or a seven string or or seven string? Yeah, he's got his Schecter in the studio in two thousand one. Schecter. Nothing says one more day like a Schecter. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So why don't we real quick get into a couple of the events that made this? Um, and we won't land here long. No, no, no. We won't land here long. But um, so uh, there were actually depending on uh, what you're reading, there might be three. Um, because also in earlier in 2001, um, there was a plane crash with some, uh, Oklahoma state football players aboard, I believe, uh, or a sports team from Oklahoma state. And, um, and so it, this became, the song became sort of a place of solace and a, you know, I I mean, it's just a, a, a thing of grief and hope at the same time and, you know, all those things. Um, and then the other thing, um, of, of course we all know, well, in the states, we all know what happened in two thousand one. It's not hard to guess what might have happened in two thousand one that would have, you know, nine eleven, and that would be the, the September eleventh, yeah, attacks in New York City, um, and and that sort of uh, took the song on a national level to uh, to another stratosphere of popularity, you know, as far as you know, it being played and, and purchased 
as a way for people dealing with. Which was followed up by one of the greatest sports moments ever. Oh, I'm a Braves. I'm a Braves fan, so yeah. it was hard for me. But the Mike Piazza home run. Oh, uh, it's oh okay. I thought you were talking about the the because that was the year that when they brought back baseball, World Series was uh, Mets Me- Yankees that year, the Subway Series. Subway Series. And so in New York City, first game of the World Series, President Bush throws, throws out, out the, the first, first pitch, pitch. Yeah, and it was electric. Yeah, that's true. he got up there and fired a strike. Uh-huh. And at that moment, there it's like were you no cannot miss that pitch. Bush. Yeah, exactly. it's your moment. You throw a strike. Yes, and there were no Republicans or Democrats at that point. Exactly, you know? that's true. It was like, dude, he just stepped up and, and fired a strike. That's right. From the, from the pitcher's from the mouth, mound. from the rubber. Not close. Yeah. He didn't step closer. A lot of people that throw out the first pitch, yeah. don't 50 cent it. You that's freaking right. uh, you George Bush it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was a – I thought that's what you were going to say. But, yeah, that was fantastic. Everything was in New York. I mean, it just mm-hmm. could not have been a better sort of hoorah, it's you good. know, America moment. Um and so, the, but the other thing that had happened earlier that year uh, was the uh, February eighteenth, uh, two thousand one, death of Dale Earnhardt, uh, NASCAR number three, legend. Monte Carlo. Yeah, uh, the black Monte Carlo number three, and uh, Daytona five hundred. That's right. In the last lap of the Daytona five hundred, um, he hit the outside wall after losing control of his car, and he hit the wall head on. Um, he was the fourth NASCAR driver to be killed in less than a year with the same type of injury. Um, and his death in particular because of his popularity catalyzed NASCAR to really implement and enhance some new safety precautions and like driver focused, um, gear and, and cars. And it was one of those things where in the South, especially, um, man, just about everybody remembers, you know, I'm not a NASCAR fan. And even if you weren't a NASCAR fan, uh, I, I remember exactly where I was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was, it was like, Oh, what, you know, crap. That's, you know, that was a, it was a big deal, especially in the South where NASCAR is at its, you know, at its most popular. Um, and, and Daytona 500 is a huge race, Absolutely, you know, tons of people are watching and he, and he just died on live television. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, you know, insane. Being as we're not NASCAR people, yeah. um, we're going to enlist the help of our friend of the podcast, yeah. f- uh, frequent visitor and guest, NASCAR uh, aficionado, junkie, junkie yeah. Joseph Tag Abbott. Yes. Hang tight. We're gonna, we know we've got a special guest interview in a minute, but we need to take two minutes and reach out to our friend, That's right, Joseph he, Tag Abbott. He's got a perspective on NASCAR that we don't. That so. We don't. so we're going to ask him a question, and yeah. then you guys will get more time with your buddy Joey uh, next week. That's right. So that's another teaser. But here we Hang go. Now. Hang on. Please answer, Joey. <laughs> or this this joke will be vain. Joey Tag Abbott, buddy, hey, JP buddy. and Rob. You're uh, live on the Great Song podcast. From the Great Song Podcast. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? Good to hear from you. Hey, good to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a, an episode on uh, One More Day by Diamond Rio, which we are releasing uh, the week before we hang out with you. Uh, to talk about another doozy, so there's a te- excellent teaser yeah. for our listeners. But uh, yeah, man, hey, we're talking about one more day, and we're talking about the uh, the death of Dale Earnhardt, and you mm. are our uh, the crash. I'm calling it the day the mustache died. Is that wrong? <laughs> oh, wow, Dude, wow, yeah, he's up there. He's racing Jesus now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, so yeah, so uh, so yeah, you're our only NASCAR friend. No, you're our great, you're our greatest. NASCAR <laughs> I get that friend. a lot. You're our most prominent NASCAR friend. How about that? Yeah. So we okay, wanted, we wanted to take a quick second and ask you one thing. Yeah, as yes, as a NASCAR as a NASCAR fan, give me your perspective on uh, on the death of Dale Earnhardt uh, in in 2001 when it happened, and however old you you were probably what high school something like that. 2001. No, I was in college. Sophomore in college, college okay. freshman in college there at Lee University. Yeah. I was actually a freshman in college in California. Oh, oh man. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's obviously, obviously huge, uh, for the sport. I do have, I do have a story about it. If, if you have time. Please. Absolutely. Yes. That's it's why, why we okay. called. We knew okay. you would. <laughs> okay. This, it's actually uh, my buddy's story. He was a, a pastor at the time, uh, actually in, uh, Johnson City up there in like okay. uh, around Tri-Cities around, area, right beside yeah. Kingsport, right beside yeah. Bristol. Exactly uh, by Bristol, so big NASCAR town. Yeah, he was a pastor of a little 
country church out in there. And they're all big NASCAR fans. And he's watching the race. And they've got, you know, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service. And the race is on Sunday afternoon. And so he's watching the race. And he sees, like, the end of it. And it's a pretty bad crash. And he's like, oh, man. Hope he's okay. But he's got to rush out to church. Okay? Okay. So he goes to church. They're starting church and all that. Church has already begun. A lady comes through the, like, to the back doors and like slams them open. And she goes, he's dead. He's <laughs> dead. So they stop. The whole service came to a screeching halt and they had to all stop and do like this big prayer service for the whole Earnhardt family right oh, there. Wow. Man. 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 She interrupted the whole church. Oh yeah. Like, Dramatic entrance. I'm seeing. Yes. That's the only way you can say he's dead if you're in Johnson oh, yeah. City. It's he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Oh, everybody knew right away. Oh man. <laughs> so when you said it, I pictured like saloon doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, country church, Johnson City, all okay. classic saloon door style. Yeah, yeah the old classic ne- saloon. Ne- next door time y'all are in Johnson City, make sure you go to Pals. That's just a little, <laughs> little pitch for Pals. Okay. One of the best yes. corn dogs and hamburgers and sweet tea you'll ever have. Go to Pals. Okay, fair go. enough. Yeah, Joe, yeah, they are good. Thanks, man. thanks for answering. Thanks for that story. Wait, hang on. I, I want to keep you for a minute while we got you. Why? Who's yeah. your? Okay, so who's your? Who's Who's your guy? Uh, I'm a, a Kevin Harvick fan. Okay. And he actually, uh, he took over for Dale Earnhardt Sr. after he died. Like, he died, and the next race, they repainted the car from black to white. Yeah. And, and put just the next available number on it, which was 29 at the time. And they brought him up. He was a rookie. Slapped him in there. And uh, that's been my guy. That's awesome. Okay. Were you an Earnhardt fan prior to Harvick? Is that why you became a Harvick fan? Or you just... Yeah. Yeah, I like Earnhardt. Okay. Okay. Dell Jr. used to be a uh, spokesman for Enterprise, and I worked for Enterprise, and I had a chance to meet Dale Earnhardt Jr. at a manager meeting, but the line was ridiculous. And I was like, eh, if it was Daryl Strawberry, maybe, but <laughs> I don't know. Dude, thanks so much for hanging out with us for a bit. We will get more of the Joseph Tag Abbott next week. Next week, y'all, a teaser. Joey's joining us again for a, for a guest spot. It's <laughs> going to be fantastic. Thank you for answering the phone, Joey. Hey, anytime. Talk to you guys soon. Take it easy. Bye. All right. We met Joey. We're about to meet Bobby Tomberlin. But first, Uh, let's let's meet the band. Let's meet this band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, guys. We're going to meet the band that played on One More Day, the band of Diamond Rio. Diamond Rio. So good. So good. I'm going to do this a little bit different. Um, most of the time when I do the meet the band section, I tell them who they played with, who they, you know, all this stuff. These guys are pretty, uh, pretty loyal to each other. So, yeah. uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tight knit group. So I'm going to talk, I'm just going to go through the band and I'm going to say different things that I like that they played on. Okay. So different moments of greatness um, from each of them on mandolin background vocals, uh, and carries the underneath part of this tune I'm going to play, um, Gene Johnson on mandolin. I'm going to play, we're just going to hit some Diamond Rio. It's going to be the way we do our, uh, kind of our greatest hits, JP style. Uh, he's going to play on Beautiful Mess. Listen to the mandolin on this. Nice. A little tasty little mandolin. This. Oh. Going out of my mind these days. I love this song. Anyway, good stuff. What a beautiful mess I'm in. Um, on electric guitar, uh, Jimmy Olander. We talked about him a minute ago. Yeah. Um, his, I'm going to say, uh, best guitar solo. It's kind of tough because he's so good and does so many things. Y'all will probably know him actually from the uh, Plus One and Big Daddy Weave Engineer Worker. Totally kidding. <laughs> Nobody knows who that is, but uh, this song is called Sweet Summer. Listen to this guitar solo. If that's not a telly, I don't know what is a telly. Man, he's got some fantastic. His tone oh, is so good. His classic 
uh, Nashville, you know what I mean? It's just, it's got that, I don't mean it like this, but I, I always think of, I always think that's a ballsy tone. Yeah. Not, n- not in the way that like, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, his, his tone is, is so fantastic. good. So good. Jimmy Olander on guitar. Uh, we talked about Gene Johnson, Jimmy Olander on drums, Brian Prout. We're going to play a little Norma Jean Riley. Listen to how uh, Rob loves this song. I, I love this song. Listen to how on front the snare is on this tune. Yeah. Snake, snake, snake. Brian Prout, ladies and gentlemen. Wish I had a car. And that, and then that rim click. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of this just to get to it. Sing it out. Norma Jean really gonna notice me. All right, good Love stuff it. there. Thank you, Brian, for that. Brian Prout on drums, um, on acoustic guitar, lead vocals. If you're gonna pick a song. To highlight Marty Rowe, then you gotta go with this little little ditty. <laughs> uh, this was their first single. First single, first song, first track, first album. Ladies and gentlemen, Marty Rowe. It was 700 fence posts from your place to house. Neither one of us was old enough to drive a car. Sometimes it was raining. I'm gonna let it get to the chorus, right? Absolutely. Okay. We wore out that gravel road between your house. Y'all feel free to sing along with us on the chorus. I start walking your way. You start walking mine. We meet in the middle. Meet that old Georgia pine. We gain a lot of ground. Cause we both give a little. Ain't no go get in there that's yeah get in there all that's thank great thank you so much marty for what you brought man you gotta love it when a country song just grooves hard you absolutely. Know? Like, absolutely i just love it when you can that's bob good. your head to a country song that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> on keyboards dan truman um i'm gonna jump ahead i love this song but i'm gonna jump ahead to minute 111 to hear some keyboard this is unbelievable here we go Thank you, Dan, for those tasty keyboards. That's unbelievable. I Another good uh, Diamond Rio song, Dan, Dan Truman. And finally, on bass guitar, background vocals. Guys, you do yourself a favor. I'll play a little bit of the song, but the song in and of itself doesn't do it justice because you really have to go watch this video because this song is called Mirror Mirror. I'll play a little bit of it here while we chat amongst ourselves. Okay, so this is the guy on bass. Great riff. Dana Williams, great riff, background vocals. Do yourself a favor. Go watch the video right now. Take a second, (laughs) because where can you find six mullets in one video? (laughs) I'll tell you, it's Mirror Mirror by Diamond Rio. Go check it out. All six rocking the mullet. Um, So that's the band. But I do want to take a a second here to introduce, uh, we mentioned it before, but you guys are going to get to hang out. A little bit with one of the songwriters on this. It was written by Stephen Dale Jones and Bobby Tomberlin. Yeah. Um, so enough talk about it. We've teased with it enough. Let's kick it to the interview with Bobby Tomberlin. Take it away, Bobby. Come on, Bobby. Dang it, Bobby. Dang it, dang it, Bobby. This is a great song. Pod ad. Hey, gang, a couple of weeks ago, we introduced you to a songwriting power couple, Sam and Becca Mizell, and we told you you should go get their new album, Getaway Car. Fantastic project. Absolutely. And now we're telling you, you should go to their YouTube page and subscribe and ring that bell so you get the notifications. YouTube is an American online video sharing platform (laughs) headquartered in San Bruno, California. Yes, and Sam and Becca Mizell have a great channel on there. On the YouTubes! <laughs> they're giving you behind the scenes for the latest album. Uh, they're giving you uh, lyric videos and that kind of thing. And they're also teaching you how to write great songs. Great tips. And so let me just tell you, in all honesty, uh, some of the best songwriting advice I've received ever in my life has come from Sam and Becca Mizell. And advice on production and just making a song what it should be and the best it can be. So uh, it, in all in all seriousness and all truthfulness, I tell you, 
You will not regret it. Go to youtube.com slash Sam and Becca Mizell, M-I-Z-E-L-L. Smash that subscribe button. Check it out now. Ring that bell. Kabamalam. Get those notifications and uh, check out the YouTube goodies from Sam and Becca Mizell. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Bobby Tomberlin, songwriter, artist, actor, a little bit of everything, uh, and we'll talk about it all. Bobby, how you doing today, man? I couldn't help but laugh. That one introduction there. Hey, we do our best, you know? <laughs> oh, man, I'm doing good. Good. So honored to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, we certainly appreciate it. Um, I got to ask you, because one, one thing that... Uh, just sort of jumped off the page to me uh, that I desperately want to know about in, in just reading your bio. Your bio says that you started as a radio DJ when you were 11. Is that true? <laughs> it's very true. In my hometown of Luverne, Alabama, about an hour <laughs> south of Montgomery. So, um, you know, it definitely wasn't a uh, <laughs> high-profile radio station. It was that, home, <laughs> you know, hometown AM radio station. But uh-huh. nevertheless, we had the listeners and... And yeah, I, you know, I actually had a make-believe radio station in my bedroom when I was like five years old. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and I would literally do the weather forecast, the funeral (laughs) announcements (laughs) and everything and um, literally had commercial, you know, would make my own commercials. And I would, so, you know, finally by age 11, I'll never forget my dad and I were at this little store downtown Luverne and the guy who owned the radio station who happened to be the superintendent of education also for the school system. He was in there. My dad said, can Bobby come down to the radio station? And I went down that afternoon and they put me on the air and then I was there wow. <laughs> you know, from that so moment cool. on. And I was ready because I, you know, there's been plenty right. of rehearsals. You'd already been in the business. That's right. You were, you were a veteran <laughs> yeah. by that time. Yeah. And I just started, you know, I, I found the, uh, Billboard magazine, they called it a billboard resource book, and it had phone numbers to all the record companies, to offices of recording artists. And, you know, I would just start calling these offices like uh, Hank Williams Jr. or Johnny Cash or, you know, some of the real uh, legends like Eddie Arnold even or or Whispering Bill Anderson. I would call their office and ask for it. And ask for interviews, and they would say, "Okay, uh, Hank's doing it. He's doing interviews at two o'clock next Wednesday, and you know, you have five minutes." And I'm like, "Hey, this is, well, you know, I just started doing that, and, and that became kind of a routine thing for me." And, oh my words! And later, you ended up, didn't you end up writing with Bill Anderson some? You're go. You're gonna laugh at this. I may, I may be giving you more info than you need, but <laughs> we write a lot, and okay. we still write. I was his sound engineer oh. for about. For about four years, uh, back around 2000, but actually I'm down here in my hometown right now, you know, it's such a crazy time with the pandemic. Yeah. And yesterday I drove over to Hank Williams's boyhood home wow. and it has a beautiful front porch and a swing. And I actually sat there with oh. the train passing by oh my and, God. Was, and was, and was working on a song that Bill Anderson and this other talented writer, artist, Tess Frizzell, who is the granddaughter of Dottie West. And niece nice. of Lefty Frizzell. So I'm sitting there. Oh, my word. You're so board. much cooler than us. I'm like, I <laughs> oh, ate no. a burrito from Taco Bell yesterday. <laughs> no. This is awesome. Well, I mean, it is kind of bizarre, actually, as I'm telling this. I'm like, did that really happen? Man, but I, anyway, yeah. So we do write. And we were, I was actually, and Bill even emailed me last night and said, wow, wow, how cool. I'm a part of a song that was written, you know, on the front porch of Hank Williams's boyhood home. That's crazy. My my heart did something when you started describing that. Like I, that, I had a physical response to that story. That was amazing. Well, you want to hear something really crazy? Absolutely. When I when it when I finished and put my guitar in the case, I was walking down the steps and it was real gloomy. And then right at that moment the train passed by and the whistle was blowing and then the brightest, I mean, sky I've ever oh. seen appeared and then a summer rain for 60 seconds then it went away. Oh, that's amazing. Like a little kiss. <laughs> yeah, it was really, I mean, I'm telling you, I could feel the energy. I'm like, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. It was it was pretty awesome. That is incredible. That is really neat. Thanks for sharing that. That's very cool. Sure. Um, so, okay, first of all, um, 
we were reading some in in, in researching the uh, the song one more day, uh, and obviously it was a it was a huge hit for Diamond Rio, and 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 it's and it's still like living now as one of those songs that just touches people, you know. God, um, it really is. It's, it's crazy. It's it's amazing. Like the you know the life of uh, of a great the life that a great song can have and the impact that it can have for decades is just uh, unbelievable. One of the things that we that we read were there were sort of a um, you know it came out and it was a hit and then it got bolstered a couple of times by sadly tragic events but but it sort yeah. of touched a chord with people and one of those events was the 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 uh, the death of Dale Earnhardt um that it sort of in in that community it became sort of a you know an in memoriam um for him, are you uh, a are you a NASCAR guy at all? You have kind of a NASCAR name. I got to be honest, Bobby Tomlin. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, you, you know, could... honestly, I mean, I have a lot of respect for it, but that's just not, I never got into that. And I'll tell you, um, honestly, I've I've never really got into anything with music. I mean, okay. I was not the athletic type. I mean, I love football and everything, but I mean, it's just my life has totally been just consumed with music only, and um, and. Uh, well, you know, I'm just thinking about the my answer. You didn't ask me do I race cars. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, I didn't play football, but I love it. But no, for some reason, I've never, I've never gotten into NASCAR. That's I'm more of a baseball guy myself, so I, you know, to, to I understand. Ca- to kind of tag on to that, Mark, Rob mentioned a little bit about how it's a, it's a little bit of a heavier moment. You, this song is a, I call it a little bit of a heavier song. Um, do you find people message you, you often about how it's helped them through a tougher time and how does that kind of you, weigh on you? You wouldn't believe after all this time, there's not a week that goes by that I don't receive an email, you know, from someone who, uh, has, you know, they've used this song for a funeral service or it's a song that, uh, that they just listened to after losing a loved one. Man. I mean, it's, and, and what's really crazy is I've, I've had saying this, several funerals and um it's just you know you don't think about that when you're writing a song speaking of writing a song when you how what's your writing process look like what does it look like when you write Uh, it's all over the map okay i mean if you were like this like like a lot of times you know driving an idea will come to me and i'll just pull out my uh, phone and record you know little bits and pieces and a lot of times like I'll just pick the guitar up first thing in the morning and just see what falls before the day gets crazy. Uh, the song that I just um, finished with Bill Anderson and Tess Frizzell, you know, I, she just actually sent me an email and it wasn't even like about a song. She just had two or three lines. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's a song. <laughs> she was trying to send me some positive light due to a situation that I'm going through right now. And I'm like, my song radar was working and I'm like, uh, that's a song. So, you know, <laughs> that's a great term that we haven't heard used before. My song, song radar, radar. But as, like a, as a songwriter, oh, I totally yeah. get where you're always on the lookout for the next hook, the next chorus, the next inspiration somewhere. Uh, what was that? What was that for, uh, for you on one more day? What was your, what was the inspiration for that? How did that come about? I was not trying to write a song. I can tell you that much. Oh. It was during the holiday time. And I just, you know, had lost, it seemed like so many people during that this period and it was just kind of getting the best of me one evening and um you know uh, you know there was especially a couple of people that uh, were in mind and that first verse pretty much fell out the guitar was there and and i just picked it up and that verse came and and i remember i was crying and and i actually got a recorder and i'm like wait a minute (laughs) there's something in this and I recorded it, and then I was writing with Stephen Del Jones the next day, a very talented songwriter, and I shared it with him, and he t- it totally connected with him, and um, and we finished it. I mean, it didn't take long at all to finish it, and it's so hard to explain those moments where, like, that verse fell out. I mean, again, when you're not even trying to write a song, and it's like, God, if you could bottle that up, oh, you'd make a billion. You know, it's right. just... It's crazy. And the interesting thing about that session with him, and this is kind of a long story, but I'm going to try to make it quick. Go for it. His, his, his publishing company where he wrote the building, a girl there had left a candle burning 
when they closed the office that ended up burning the building down. Oh, my word. So he ended up, he and the other writers from that company, they were at this other building. They rented out a couple of rooms in this building on Music Row. And there was a piano in one of the rooms. And this piano belonged to Roger Nichols, who wrote Hits for the Hollies. He wrote, uh, I'd love to teach the world to sing. Oh, wow. Um, and anyway, this piano, old upright piano, was in the room. And when I played Stephen Dell, the verse I had, he says, you know what? I'm not a piano player, but I've had this one little melody, melodic line for years. And I've, I've always wondered, God, how can I use this? And that melody was, da-da-da. And it worked with one more day. Wow. And if it hadn't been for that building burning down. Goodness gracious. You know, we we wouldn't have had that piano in our presence. And then, All these heavy you know, moments leading to this hit. <laughs> I know. And, and, yeah, really. And then who knows where, you know, how the melody would have been. But yeah. on guitar, I just don't think we would have, I don't think we would have strummed one more day. I think it would have been one more day when I done it. You know, yeah. I just. I really believe that. Wow, that is that is really something. And what's is, one more day would have been like a jingle for like the little bum 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 would now be like let's eat chips or something. <laughs> yeah, you would have used that melody for something else. Yeah, something, something, something well, maybe, right. maybe we can still get a chip. <laughs> <laughs> Do a commercial. No, the, did you? Uh, that leads me to a question that I ask everyone. It feels like at the right time, so we ask everybody that we have on here. So you're on tour and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station food of choice? Like when I was growing up. My mom would say you could have any candy bar you want, so I would get a Three Musketeers bar because it's the most ounces for the for the same amount of money. <laughs> JP's uh, cheap, uh, <laughs> so, I'm thrifty. So you're on that's tour a, and you go into a gas station. What do you grab? We ask everybody that. What's your grab? That's thing? a that's a great question. And you know what's funny? I don't really have to think twice about it. Uh, there we go. Almonds. Almonds. Okay. Yeah. All there right. Healthy. Yeah. Healthy guy. Uh, well, at, at least that's been the case for the last decade. Now, before okay. that. Maybe Doritos. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's we're still in the Doritos phase of our lives. <laughs> yeah, so. we're, in the, we're in the junk food oh, phase I, of our lives. We're trying to step I up could, our game I, to almonds. Yeah, I could totally ease back into that. Trust me. <laughs> so, so when you get to go back a little bit more on the writing, when you're writing, do you have an artist in mind when you're writing a song, or do you write? You're like, I'm just going to write a song, and then whoever it lands with, or do you write to pitch this one? Like, did you? Let's, we can use this as an example. I know maybe not be the answer, but did you have Diamond Rio in mind when you wrote One More Day or something? Well, similar? when when we finished One More Day, we thought about Diamond Rio because of their harmonies. And mm-hmm. Stephen and I, had they had recorded a couple of our songs, so we knew we could get to them. And, um, and it did. It reached their hands. And uh, I'll never forget, I was at the Grand Ole Opry one Saturday night and it was the weekend before they were going to go in to record. And I remember I walked up to Dana, the bass player. And I said, well, I hear that you have one more day, you know, on hold. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, we're going to go in there and hopefully, you know, we'll come out with it being recorded. I said, I sure hope so. And, uh, and you know, what's funny originally it wasn't intended to be like, I don't even know that they intended it to be a single because they released another song first from the project and then, and it didn't do that well. And in the midst of this, the record companies changed presidents and there was really a fear that that album was going to be canned. Oh, wow. And then there was a meeting in Los Angeles and, um, the, the new head of the company played three songs off the project. And from what I've heard, they didn't get really any great reaction. And then there was a lady in the audience who slipped a note to this uh, executive and said, play one more day. He played it and everyone stood up and clapped. And he wow. thought it that's going to be the next, that's going to be the next single. So if it wasn't for that lady that, that sent that note, it very well could have just been lost. Wow. This is the subtitle of this interview is a series of crazy coincidences. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling so, you, that's been my whole life. <laughs> well, something that we've never really talked about uh, on, on the show uh, is the crazy life of a song. Once it leaves the writer's room and kind of begins the journey toward becoming an album cut or a single. Can you tell us about that kind of roller coaster, you know, potentially really drawn out process? Oh, sometimes it can be so long. I remember I had this one song with Rivers Rutherford, 
and he happened to be at the studio when Faith and Faith Hill was at the studio. He was in one room, she was in another room. They met at the water fountain, and he told her, he says, man, I have a new song that's I think it'd be great for Tim McGraw, your husband. And she says, why couldn't it be great for me? <laughs> and he, he played it live on the spot, and then she cut it, like, I think in a couple of days. And then she ended up cutting like 45 songs. Oof. And it was over a year before we found out if we made the project or not. Oh, man, and that, I, I, I'm telling you, if there was such thing as songwriter therapy, I believe I would have gone to it. Yeah. <laughs> because, no kidding. Because, it's, you know, she was selling a lot of records. That, that, that ended up being like a double platinum record. And, I mean, that's just, um, you know, that hurts to lose something like that. And, and I mean, wow. I mean, number one, you lose, you can't, you know, it's cool to add that to your bio, you know, when someone like a Blake or Faith sure. cuts your song. And then of course there's money matters. And then there's just, you know, making your publisher happy. And right. so, yeah, but that, that was one of the longest uh, waiting periods that I've ever had, but it's, it varies. I mean, I have a song. Oh, as far as thinking of artists in mind, for the most part, I don't do that unless I'm working with an artist. Mm. I just, I just try to really, as tried as this may sound, I just really am one of those guys that writes from the heart, and and uh, I try not to let anything get in the way of that. You know, I don't want to start thinking too much like I want to write this for Blake because the truth is, what he's already recorded, you know, he's already, it's already recorded. It's already, he's been there, done that, and he's very well could be looking for something different anyway. Yeah, you know. So how how do you learn as a as a writer and as a as a longtime staff writer? You've been on staff, I believe, with Curb, right, for like decades. Is that right? Yeah, um, I've been with them. Them going into my twenty fifth year, which I cannot believe. Wow. It's so hard to believe. So how do you learn to kind of let a song go when you write something? You know, it's your baby, and you believe so much in it, but you know it may never see the light of day, even though it's great. How do you pr- sort of protect yourself from your own feelings on that and, and learn to let a song go? Well, after doing it for a long time, I've learned that if you don't get that song recorded in the first year or two, it means it doesn't mean that you're not. I mean, I've had so many songs, I mean, some five years, eight years before they landed. You just can't give up on those songs if you really believe in them. Yeah. And uh, and also in the writing process, it's easy to get excited and finish like the one I've, I was telling you about with Bill Anderson at Test. I thought it was finished two nights ago. And then... I think we just got excited and was rushing the second verse. And then last night I get an email from Bill Anderson, like at 11 o'clock, you know, I don't, I think we can make this stronger. And, you know, he's been writing since the fifties. Since ever. And, yeah. <laughs> right. And then I'm, and when I got that email, I thought, yeah, but that's why you're Bill Anderson. You exactly. know, I mean, why not make every line strive to make every line great. Don't rush a second verse. Yeah, you true. know, don't, Okay, I, I got a random one. This one, may, we may even edit this out. This is just mainly for me. Um, I'm a big Rust Taff guy. Like, I'm a huge Rust Taff fan. Oh, wow. I, I know you've done, you've written for Rust Taff, and I have pretty much every project except for Winds of Change. What did you write? Do you remember what song Rust did of yours that you helped him with? I Absolutely. It's a song called One and Only Love. It was one of the first songs that I wrote when I came to Nashville and I wrote that one with Stephen Dell Jones. Oh, cool. Oh man. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. It's a very, it's a, yeah, wow. It's a real, it's just a very emotional song. I mean, you should really Google I'll it. it you, I'll definitely YouTube look it up it. afterwards. Yeah. There, there's a great video on that. And, and that was a country project that he did. And Randy Scruggs, son of the great Earl Scruggs huh. produced this project. Okay. And, I, and I loved Russ when he was with the Imperials. So yep. it was a, it was really cool to get him, you know, to sing one of our songs. That's, That's cool. so cool. Who, uh, who? So of all the of all the cuts you've had, who's cut a song of yours that most surprised you? Barbara Streisand. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. good. I mean, who, whoever a, thinks a, like Barbara. Oh yeah, Barbara Streisand's going to sing this. You know, whoever <laughs> thinks that. Yeah, I mean, I'm from like I said, a small town in Alabama. I was raised, you know, with the whole Hank Williams history and listening to. You know, really hardcore country music, Merle Haggard and Loretta Lynn, and and you know to get have someone like Streisand record your song, it's just <laughs> it's very, very bizarre. I mean, in a good way, but she recorded a song of mine that I wrote with Steve Dorf, and it was a duet with um, with Blake Shelton. That's yeah, that's, that's another 
That's, that's another surprise, like Blake Shelton and Barbara Streisand. Yeah, that's crazy, too, because like your vocal register is lower than most, and to have Streisand cover a song that you wrote is just like running the gamut of vocal range uh, extremes. So that's pretty cool. Let me tell you, that's one song I, I never sing when I go out to perform. <laughs> Do like, the Streisand song. That's awesome. Oh, man. But that it was very cool. I mean, it's, it was a really cool thing to add to, again, the list of artists that have recorded my songs. It's really a proud moment, I must say. I'm sure. What What does it mean for a What does it mean for a a staff writer? A you know, you are a, a professional songwriter. Uh, uh, in addition to being an artist on your own end and uh, and some other things, what does it mean for a staff writer for a publisher to get a huge signature hit like One More Day? Oh gosh, I mean that's what they strive for. I mean. They call them evergreens, Mm. you know, songs that just keep getting airplay. They don't go away. Like so many songs after they have their little top 10 run and even a number one uh, run, um, they kind of disappear over time. But in one more day's case, we just had a little celebration at BMI before this pandemic hit and a celebration of 5 million plays on the the radio. And, um, no, it's huge, and that kind of song can really change your life. It can get you indoors with people, you know, with, you know, otherwise you would never be able to sit down and write with. I mean, immediately after that song hit, I remember one of my songwriting heroes, Mac Davis. I was set up to write with him and Paul Williams. That You know, he's written so many classics, and and um, that's been the highlight for me, by the way, working with heroes. Mm. I mean, that, that's, that's no doubt the friendships and, and sitting in the room working with a Bill Anderson or Dean Dillon. That's, that's huge. That's cool. Yeah. I, I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the movie Wheeler that you were in, um, not to kind of segue into your acting career a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I'll tie that in in a way that there's a line in one more day that says a mansion in Malibu. Um, that's where Stephen Dorff lives, right? Yeah, and you know when I wrote that, I had never been to Malibu. Okay, I was curious that if that was just simply for the rhyme scheme, or if Malibu had a special place in your heart. I think it had a special place, and I didn't even real—I <laughs> I didn't even realize why. It I mean, I, it just—it represented beauty, the the sound of the word Malibu. And I'd never even been there. And I remember the first time I went, I saw the little Malibu sign. It was it was cool. But it's just, you know, a beautiful place. A lot of people think just crazy celebrity. But the truth is, it's beautiful, laid back, and has a little country mart with great little restaurants. And, uh, you know, they have McDonald's like everywhere else. <laughs> but, uh, well, t- talk a little bit about how it was doing the Wheeler Project. For those that, that don't know, um, it's Chris Christopherson film. It's really cool, really neat. Um, and it's kind of a – you set it up like – well, I should let you talk about it, how Stephen was going to local venues in Nashville. Do you want to talk on that a little bit? You could probably sure. do it better than I could guess at it. Just a few months before it, you know, it actually happened, the process of the film, the filming of the movie, he called me. And, you know, he's, he's been a friend. His dad's a great friend of mine. We've written Steve Dorff and his brother, Andrew Dorff, who had like five number one records and unfortunately passed away uh, a little over three years ago. He was like a little brother to me. So I'm mean, anyway, I've just been close to that family, but Steven called me and he says, I want to come to town and I'm going to be totally in character. I'm going to have all this makeup and, you know, people would never know who I am and he said i'd love for you to be a part of this process and the director wants to come hang with you maybe for two weeks and just kind of share the journey of a songwriter like what what was it like for you so you know like in the film the hotel that he stays in the character stays in the first night was the hotel that i stayed in the first time i was in town Um, and there were just so many elements like that you know that uh that came together yeah, I know you played you've played the Bluebird uh, obviously numerous times um and that's you know there's many venues that are mentioned as somebody that's played the Bluebird what's your most I don't want to say most memorable venue but what's a neat venue story obviously that's got to be up towards the top for- Well the Bluebird I've had some special nights there I've I've been able to play with so many of my heroes there. I played with Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers there, Vince Gill. We've played there several times, Bobby Bear, Bill Anderson. Uh, so just some of those nights have really stood out 
for me. Um, another one that's really special to me is playing in Montgomery at an old place. It used to be called the Elite Cafe. And now it's called, I think, 5050 Grill, but it's the last place that Hank Williams ever played. And I went there oh, and played. Oh, dude, yes. And it was a magical night. I played there with his uh, granddaughter, Hillary Williams. Oh, man. Oh, dude, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah cool. and there was some pretty wild things that were happening that night. There was some really crazy energy in the air. But the, but that place stands out in mind. But just so many. I played in Bakersfield uh, a few months ago, and that was so magical. I really felt the history, the energy there. And that's that's one of my favorite spots. And in Alaska, there's a couple of venues mm-hmm. there that's been great that I go back to every year. Very cool. Uh, I, one more question as a, as a writer, uh, who is your white whale? Who's the artist out there that you go, man, I could really write the heck out of a song for you, but it just hasn't clicked yet. You know what? I'll tell you someone that that was a big inspiration to me. Uh, and it's Hank Williams jr. Actually. Okay. And I've been around Hank numerous times. I mean, his family, I'm like, they're like my sisters and little brothers. His son Sam, I'm working with right now. We've mm-hmm. played the Opry Opry together, but I've never like crossed the line and like tried to push songs on Hank. I, yeah. mean, I saw him like three weeks ago, but but I, I actually was thinking about this yesterday. I thought, well, I'd really love for him to sing one of my songs. Yeah, let's make it happen. Let's, let's, let's do it. We'll get to work on that. We be- we'll- <laughs> we believe it's going to happen, and you can say, hey, this is the first time I really talked about it, and it right. was with us. So thanks for letting us know. That. Yeah, we'll, we'll, no, we'll- you're. You're right. You're right. But you know, so many other people who have passed away that I would have loved to have had to sing my song, like a Johnny Cash or a Waylon Jennings. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been great, Bobby. Yeah, thank you for your been... time. We appreciate you coming and hanging out. We had a blast. You're a super sharp guy. Great stories. Oh, oh man, absolutely. this has been wonderful for us. So thanks for spending. Well, a few I've I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you guys are great. It's not the typical, you know, interview or podcast. I mean, that's what we like to you. hear. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, you, you. This has been a pleasure. You have great questions. It's been fun. Thanks. Outstanding. Well, you got our number. Holler sometime. That's we'll, right. We'll, Stop by anytime. We'll. Uh, All right. We'll grab some almonds. <laughs> that's right. We'll have, <laughs> hey, that <laughs> sounds great. Oh, well, at least maybe some chocolate covered almonds. <laughs> now we're now we're going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks right. again, Bobby. We appreciate you, man. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. That was Bobby Tomberlin, songwriter of One More Day uh, and best voice in the. I can't do it. That's I'm, all right. You tried. Not, uh, maybe I'll. No, it just can't. I can't get. <laughs> I can't get that. As good as he impersonates Shaggy, yeah. he misses the radio voice I don't, a little. Bit. I don't have my radio voice is like super exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a character on The Simpsons. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, Sunday, Sunday, I don't even, I'll do, okay, anyway, uh, and I want to mention a little bit about, Spatula City, Spatula City, all right, uh, <laughs> uh, if you got that joke, you're awesome, you're our friend, all right, uh, a little bit on Stephen Dale Jones, the other writer for this song, he is no slouch, he only has uh, 20 million uh, credits uh, of his, uh, of songs that he's written albums for, is that real? No big deal, yeah, 20 million record sale, what uh, in the of, world, of That's songs huge. that he's been on, yeah, uh, I mean, songs that he's written, uh, uh, over hu- 150 album cuts for everybody from Bonnie Raitt to Alabama to John Legend. Oh, my goodness, um, yeah. He's won nine ASCAP awards, a Grammy nomination, which was Best Country Song for One More Day, uh, and a Dove Award. So uh, Stephen Dale Jones, That's also awesome. killer, monster writer. Nashville is just full of these. And and uh, obviously, the whole, the whole world is full of people who can write songs. But the concentration of these kinds of monster riders in Nashville is unlike anything They're else. They're around the corner at the Waffle House right now. Yeah. You could go to Waffle House and find a, a hit song. Yeah, somebody who can just write a song that would just bring you to tears, mm-hmm. you know. It's just it's just incredible around here. Uh, a little bit more on Diamond Rio, and then I think you have a game? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We, uh, we're we bringing back Stump the Genius, everybody. Okay. I know we cheered for Rob last week. We're back to cheering against Rob <laughs> with a, a different version of Stump the Genius. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so just a little bit on Diamond Rio. Uh, they have 14 Grammy nominations and one win. Their win came in 2011, uh, which is okay. interesting when you think about their when their career started. That's a long time after they started, but it came from their 2000 album, 11, 
2011 album, The Reason. They were originally known as the Grizzly River Boys. Okay, uh, did not and, know that. And then the Tennessee River Boys. The Grizzly River was the name of a river rafting ride at Opryland. Okay. Uh, Opryland is now the Opry Mills Mall here in Nashville, but it was originally uh, a, a Grand Ole Opry-themed Theme park. That's right. Back um, in the day, called called Opryland. I'm wearing a Memphis Grizzlies sweatshirt. If that counts for the Grizzly reference. Oh, sure, for the Grizzly River. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so they, but they, the band actually started playing in the park, playing in Opryland theme park, and that's where they met and started playing together and formed a band. Um, and so they became the Grizzly River Boys. Um, and uh, they had lots of lineup changes early on, so much turnover and so much. Um, sort of turmoil even to to even get to when their first album came out. Well, I can imagine it's, if you're playing at a uh, Opryland park, you know what I mean. If yeah, there was just a lot, a lot of of changes. So that uh, um, actually, I think I don't think any of the actual founding members were still in the band by the time they became Diamond Rio. Oh wow, if that helps. Wow, like it was a, it, just reading the article. I couldn't even find a way to like encapsulate it. It was so much stuff going on that between the time they started and and finally came out Which as Diamond Rio. It's funny because as Diamond Rio, they're pretty They've never had a lineup that's change. That's crazy. I'm, awesome. I'm almost positive it's been the same same guys the whole time. That's great. And no breakups. They've yeah. not had, you know, they've just been since then. Um but like founding members included Ty Herndon. Okay. Ty Herndon, yeah. excuse me. Uh he was he was one of the founding members. Um they were the first band ever to have a debut single hit number one on the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart. First country band ever to, to debut it at, at uh, their single hit number one. That would be me in the middle that you played a minute ago. Uh, and uh, one more note, before landing on the name Diamond Rio, they also kicked around the names Kilroy and T-Town <laughs> Mavericks. Uh, but Kilroy, if, Sticks had already done Kilroy. Right? Oh, the were song? they... Oh, they had done the song. song. Yeah, That's yeah. Funny but they that were going to go by demanding. that for the name. You know, Kilroy was a thing in World War, was it one? Okay. Or World yeah. War II, Kilroy was here. You mm-hmm. ever seen the little thing of the of the, uh, a picture of like somebody will do the top of a wall and it's like fingers and a and part of a face yep. looking okay. over? That's like Kilroy. Okay. And it was a Kilroy was here. So I don't know if that was, was a reference to that at all Maybe. or whatever. Uh, and T-Town Mavericks, just that sounds awful. It's like, <laughs> like a terrible, terrible name. T-Town? Is that Tennessee? I mean, it's not uh, a town. I don't know. Oh, no. uh, anyway, but they eventually went with Diamond Rio, named after a trucking company with the same name, just spelled differently. It's Diamond R-E-O, okay. uh, like like REO Speedwagon. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was uh, so they went with Diamond Rio after this Where after this trucking company, um, even though the band Shenandoah had also previously entertained the name Diamond Rio. Oh wow! So That's uh, awesome. and and another lead singer named Marty Marty Rabin uh, for Shenandoah. And Marty Rowe, Diamond Rio. Really interesting. I don't know. Uh, all right, let's do this. Let's get this over with. It's time to stump the genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. All right, we're going to do a different version of Stump the Genius today. We're trying to mix it up a little bit. And actually, when I say I'm cheering against Rob, I'm not really cheering against Rob because this is a fun one. We're going to do in 2001 Billboard Country. Did this guy have a mustache? Yes or no? <laughs> so I'm going to play a song, and you have to say, "Does this guy have a mustache?" In 2001. In 2001. In 2001. If you're going to play this song, you're going to go see this artist live. I'll tell you, it's just all solo artists, solo males. Okay. It's all males. Did, so you got to, got to, got to. Right. All dudes. Okay. Does this dude have a mustache? And let's see how well you at home would do. <laughs> okay. Um, and here we go with this one. If you even know the song. Do I have to guess the song or just yes song. or no on you the You don't even have to know the artist. Because i got to tell you, 2001 Country, I'm not going to know much. If you know the song. Well, if you ask me where I come from. Is it Toby Keith? It's not Toby Keith. Oh. No. Here's what I tell everyone. But you can guess Toby Keith mustache, yes or no. <laughs> Born by God's dear grace. Who is this? I can't tell you. That would give you a mustache or no. Oh, 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 okay, okay. With the stars and stripes. I mean, he definitely sounds like he has a mustache. He has a mustache. That's Aaron Tippin with Aaron, a mustache. That's Aaron Tippin? That's Aaron Tippin with a mustache. Wow. That's right, the wine guy. All right, there we go. Rob's one for one. Here we go. Another Billboard song to chart in 2001. 
Does this guy have a mustache? No, I don't hear one. That is correct. That is Blake Shelton (laughs) pre-mustache in Austin. Good job, Rob. It's two for two. You know, my favorite thing about this game is actually that I don't get to know who it is. Okay, it doesn't throw you off. Yeah, I have to hear the mustache. Okay, can you hear the stash? The song also charted in 2001. Where were you when? Alan Jackson, absolutely. Alan Jackson absolutely. was born with a mustache. Yeah, born. He came out the womb as a fetus. He had a mustache. Three for three. I'm killing it. Does this sound stash worthy? Yes or no? The snare drum is telling me no, but we'll see. Snare drum's telling me this is Kenny Chesney. I have a Whoa! <laughs> Rob nailed Kenny Chesney. Oh. Off no the, mustache. Off the, no no mustache. mustache. Rob's four for four. <laughs> Home stretch. Number what can five. I say? I have a gift. Number five. Here we go. <laughs> Songs from all from 2001, guys. 2001 stash. I pulled into the shopping center and saw a little boy wrapped around the legs of his mother. Like ice cream melting, they embraced. He's four for four. Can he bat a thousand on the 2001 stash game? I. Is this a trick? Is there anything trick about this? Nothing trick. I'm not hearing a mustache. They wore everything they owned, living in a car. I don't hear a mustache. Oh, he was so close. Dang it. Tim McGraw, stash oh, errors. Okay. Yeah. Grown men don't cry. Rob, great job, though. I could Four not pull his five. voice out yet. That was great. That oh, was great. Thank so, you. Good job. I enjoyed that. Thank Hope you guys at home did. How did you do? Did you beat Rob? If so, let us know. That would have been a great... If you went five for five... You have stashology. I got to be honest. I wouldn't mind playing that game every week. <laughs> <laughs> Rob killed it. Here's the mustache. Here's the mustache. Play, hear the mustache. We're gonna we're gonna have to write a new jingle instead. <laughs> at the end, let's let's tag uh, Stump the Genius. But we're gonna play at the end a song called "Hear the Mustache." It's time to hear the mustache. <laughs> okay. Oh man, that was fun, guys. Fantastic. Guys, good stuff. Good but, stuff. Hope y'all enjoyed. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Um, thanks for thanks for being with us. Thanks, Special Joey. Thanks, thanks for being available. Right. Thanks for yep. answering the phone. We'll see you next week that's when right. we cover. Bye, You're gonna love it. It's a hit. You're gonna be love. I mean, you any episode with Joey, it's it doesn't good. even. It really doesn't even matter what song we're covering. But we, next week we're covering. We a could be classic. like, we're gonna get together and read the phone book. Yeah, and you guys would be like that. It's, it's gonna good, be fun. funniest episode of the well, season. The greatest thing ever. Gorilla, yeah. gorilla, gorilla. So. <laughs> That's a, All right. That's a reference back to earlier seasons. That's right. If you haven't heard, you can do some prep work. If you haven't, go to go back to season two. two? I think it's season two, uh, The Monkeys. Uh, uh, no, um, uh, uh, what song did we do? We did the one about the neighborhoods. What's it called? Um, Pleasant Valley Pleasant Sunday. Pleasant Valley Sunday. <laughs> the one about Thank the you. With Joey. Um, so if you want to hear what you're getting yourself into next week, go and back then, and listen to Pleasant Valley Sunday. And, and then, then we did Weezer. Four? Yeah, we Weezer. Did Weezer with, That's right, uh, Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Yeah. So this is Joey's third time, uh, our most frequented guest That's on right. here. So yeah. uh, you guys hopefully have a good time with him next week. Yes. And uh, we're rolling on. We're getting close to the end of, oh, of season two. I can't, I mean, season, season two. Season six. <laughs> season six. I can't believe it. Uh, I hope you guys are having a good time. We're having a blast. And uh, we still got some good treats. In store oh, for you absolutely! This season. Like some stuff that you're going to be like, yes, yeah. Um, and then next season, man, we're we we are proactive. That's yeah. one thing we're good at is being proactive. I don't even think we technically need to take a break between seasons this time. We're gonna, we're gonna but, just to uh, give you guys uh, wanting more. That's right. We're gonna let absence make the heart grow fonder. But um, make sure you catch up with us on socials: uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All at Great Song Pod for our official pages there. And if you'd like to be a part of the Facebook group, you can search for Great Songs and the people who love them. Great songs and the great people who love them greatly. Oh, and yeah, you can buy a T-shirt now. Yeah, um, I wish to... I remembered the website. Do you remember it? Uh, you can uh, hope. Hopefully by the time this is out, we'll have it on our website on greatsongpodcast.com, yeah. or you can go to greatsongpod.bigcartel.com. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Good call. And uh, we got some, got some good t-shirts. That aren't $40. Much lower prices, <laughs> yes, than we have offered them in the past. So. Yeah, we used to go through a, a different company, and yeah. now we're just like, you know what? We figured it out. We, we got it better. Here we go. We did better. We know y'all keep begging us for shirts, but don't want to pay the $40. Now you don't have to. Exactly. So we'll be back next week with another great song. But until then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.